This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 27 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Debbie McDonald, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, (laughs) Debbie. How are you this week? And it's a holiday week for most people, but probably not a big holiday for you guys over there on the West Coast, huh? Well, no, I mean, uh, I'm not with my family, which is a little sad, but my second family here in California is we're going to have a... A nice turkey dinner, and I'm dinner and I don't mean, mean to make you jealous, but I'm sitting here <laughs> by a pond, 75 degrees, <laughs> so it's pretty beautiful. Well, that's wonderful, and, and of course, I'm usually in Lexington, Kentucky, but actually, uh, here we are recording the show on Thanksgiving Day, and I happen to be in Middleburg, Virginia, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's a typical November day here. And, you know, it's the kind of day that lends itself well to being indoors and eating comfort food with the turkey. So I'm looking forward to that when we get the show done today. But before we get to that, uh, to the turkey and the trimmings uh, today, Debbie, you know, we've got a great show uh, this week because I talked to Cassie Bartow, and I know you know Cassie. She's a, just a phenomenal young rider incredibly successful already at her young age of 21 and and destined for a tremendous future uh, someone that's known to you i believe you've you've trained her well yes i've done her in a couple of clinics and she really is a very lovely young lady and um great parents and uh it's really fun to see this this couple of 20 year old young girls coming up in the sport and and um it is very exciting and I wish her all the best over there. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to talking to her. I spoke to her um, just a few days ago, and of course, she's getting ready to go to Frankfurt uh, in Germany for the first time. She'll be uh, competing in Europe. Uh, a very exciting uh, trip for for young Cassie as she heads to the Young Rider World Cup uh, final. So uh, we're looking forward to hearing. Uh, more about that trip and uh, what she's going to be doing in preparation for that. And we're also, you and I, are going to discuss, um, you know, different training methods, Debbie. You know, there's uh, there are so many options out there. Everybody has their own style. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate right uh, right now about uh, the use of hyperflexion, for example. And, and of course, there are lots right. of uh, artificial aids and so on. So I thought it was worth a chat. We do get quite a bit of response on our, our Facebook page. And so we'll get to that uh, shortly but before we do we do have a few items of news this week um not least of all coming out of uh, europe um, edward gall of course who's uh, just on a roll these days he won again with his european championship partner tortillas with a score of 87.80 in uh, stuttgart uh, he beat uh, belgium's jerome devro on apollo van hetford for half on 73.9 and germany's annabelle Volkenhol. Uh, finished in third place on 72.8, riding Rubens Royal. Um, so they're really on a roll, the Dutch, aren't they, uh, Deb? I mean, really, no stopping uh, Edward Gall. And got two fantastic horses. Yeah, he's, yes, he really does. I mean, right now I'm sure he feels like we do with uh, with Raval, and that is to keep him in bubble wrap. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, still hitting those mid-70s, high 70s, uh, sorry, high 80s marks, 87.8 again, you know, up there with his European European Championship uh, score. So, you know, he's set the bar for himself now, and and, and that has got to, you know, be something obviously he's going to constantly strive to improve on that but uh, it, it definitely taking on the world and 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 really really setting the bar for Anki as well who got off to a very good start with Salonero with a couple of World Cup qualifiers already it, I know it's just uh it's just very exciting to to see horses like this 
Um, I mean, we're talking about record breaking scores now and, and we always think we've, we've heard the highest and then it just keeps the bar just keeps getting higher and higher. So it's, it's pretty exciting. It really is. Well, not not to be outdone, Stefan Peters over there on the West Coast, of course, is the reigning World Cup champion with Ravel. He won a Grand Prix at, in Thermal this past week with a score of 80.23. That was the USCF dressage getaway that took place in Thermal, California. And uh, he said that the 11-year-old gelding that's owned by Akiko Yamazaki felt better than an Arkan, of course, where he won everything uh, earlier this year. And he plans to uh, keep the horse going in, into the Florida winter circuit and compete at the uh, Equus uh, World Dressage Masters, uh, which is going to be in yeah. February. That's going to be part of his preparation for the World Cup final and, of course, the World Equestrian Games. So, you know, he, he, he's he got to be looking at staying up there in the 80s. He knows that's what he's got to go for now if he's going to take on the Dutch. Oh, there's no doubt. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that 80% um, is certainly now... Uh, our our goal for him, and uh, and and I'm sure he can even achieve higher than that as well. I was at Thermal and saw the horse and Stefan. They both looked great, um, not rusty at all in the least. So it was really good to see the horse looking so happy and and really, you know, did a beautiful job. You know, and after he went so well in Ark, and this has got to be encouraging for him that the horse is even feeling better than what he did six months ago. So good for them. Well, we have a bit of um, um, dressage news for, from the FEI. You know, they had their general assembly in Copenhagen, Denmark last week. And uh, uh, out of that came the new dressage committee. You know, the, the, you know well, very well, Debbie, that the uh, previous dressage committee was disbanded and replaced by a temporary task force. And, uh-huh. Uh, what happened last week uh, at the General Assembly was that Frank Kemperman, the show director from Aachen, was elected chairman of this new committee, and the rest of the committee comprises of German Thomas Bauer, who's chairman of the International Show Organizers Club, the British uh, rider and trainer David Hunt, who's chairman of the International Dressage Trainers Club, uh, the French uh-huh. uh, lady, Margit Otto Kreppen, she's chair of the International Dressage Riders Club, and Swedish uh, lady there, Elizabeth Lundholm, she's trainer and chef to keep of the Swedish team. And they're going to be joined by our own Anne Gribbons, of course, is an old judge and trainer and rider, wears many hats these days. And, and uh, so that's a very powerful committee, isn't it, Debbie? It sure is. And boy, it's great to see Anne's name among them, I tell you. Um, it's nice to have a, a presence like that on this committee. It is, and it is at a time that we really need a, a lot of fortitude and, and leadership in the sport too, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it's. Uh, it sounds, you know, looking at it here, uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a very strong committee and hopefully, you know, good things to come. Well, we hope so too. Well, we also want to, to give a shout out to Charles, otherwise known as Chuck Smith, and congratulations to Chuck from Richwood, Ohio, and the USDF have named him the 2009 Volunteer of the Year. He's going to win that award that will be presented to him at the annual convention coming up here next week. And that's presented by the Paddock Salary. And that award recognizes a USDF member who, through consistent and cumulative volunteer activities, has demonstrated exceptional commitment towards carrying out USDF's mission. And as the winner, Chuck will be presented with a perpetual trophy, which is permanently on display at the Rimmer Foundation USDF Hall of Fame in uh, Kentucky at their headquarters there. And Chuck will receive a $500 gift certificate from the paddock salary. Chuck is well known for having served as the national chairman of the USDF capital campaign with his down-to-earth leadership and inspiration, uh, which helped the campaign achieve its fundraising objective with more than $4.2 million committed to that. And, uh, you know, a wonderful uh, example of, of, of how successful a, a, the input from a volunteer can be, Debbie. I mean, he's, he's just done so much for the USDF, and it's nice when they're recognized for their efforts. It sure is. And I know Chuck and Joanne, and, and I can tell you as, as an owner as well, they have done a lot for the sport in general, not just for USDF. So 
um, I congratulate him as well. And I'm actually going to be there so I can give him a, a nice big hug. Yes, I was going to mention that too. You, you've got something to celebrate at the USDF convention next week, haven't you? I do. It's going to be a very emotional one, but I'm very excited. Um, yes, Brentina's been named to the Hall of Fame. So that's going to be quite a, a, an emotional evening. But it's, uh, it's so wonderful to have received that honor. And, and wonderful too, you know, now that she's retired, to be able to, you know, be amongst your peers and 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 find that she's still being recognised in the sport, uh, you know, even though she's in the paddock at home and she's not going to come out and show off, uh, you know, in the arena anymore, but she's never going to be forgotten with these kind of accolades. I mean, I think that to me probably means the most out of everything, you know, all the the ribbons and wins are are wonderful things, but to have to have such a horse that, that is going to be named to a Hall of Fame like that and will be remembered, I think, is probably the biggest honor anybody could ever achieve. It, it really is. Well, I'm sure you'll have fun there, too. But, um, we, uh, we're we going to take a short break here, Debbie, uh, before we come to our guest uh, today, Cassie Bartow. And before we do that, I was say, we're going to take a break for one of our commercials. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. It is fantastic to have our friends at Equestrian Life as the title sponsors for the Dressage Radio Show. If you have not been to Equestrian Life yet, you need to go. In addition to being the official social community for the Horse Radio Network, it is one of the fastest-growing horse communities on the Internet. It is truly the Facebook for horse people. The goal of EquestrianLife.com is to bring equestrians together and to provide them with the breadth and depth of information and tools they need to learn and connect with other horse lovers who share the same passion. EquestrianLife.com is a fun, inviting website that strives to provide its members with a world-class experience that fosters the expression of all the ways people enjoy their horses and the people who are part of the horse world. EquestrianLife.com's social media platform provides users with cutting-edge applications and tools, such as people in horse profiles, social Q&A, status updates, messaging, photo uploading, groups, comments, blogs, expert high-definition videos, directories, birthday reminders, alerts, messaging, and on and on and on, in addition to their partnership with the Horse Radio Network. This community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Ride on over to Equestrian Life today, sign up for free, and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, EquestrianLife.com is the place to be. Well, thanks again to our sponsors. Without them, this show would not be possible. And our guest this evening is going to be Cassie Bartow. Cassie is one of the most successful young riders. Well, in fact, the most winningest young riders, if there is such a word, winningest. (laughs) As a young rider, she's won absolutely everything a young rider can win in this country. She's won the uh, Young Rider Championship. Uh, She defended it this year, and uh, so she's a reigning, reigning champion. And she's off to Frankfurt um, just next week for the uh, World Cup Junior Young Rider World Cup final. And and she's going to face some really tough opposition over there from around the world and was very, very much looking forward to that, very excited that she'd got her her preparation mapped out. So I was able to catch up with her while she was in Florida. She just arrived in Florida to begin that preparation. So I'm delighted to welcome Cassie to the show. Well, Cassie Bateau joins us now for the first time on the Dressage Radio Show. Cassie, welcome. Hi. Well, thank you. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I know it's a particularly busy time for you as you're making your debut heading to Frankfurt, Germany for the, the, World Cup, the, the FEI Young Rider uh, World Cup Dressage Final, which uh, you must be very excited about. I am so excited. I'm so, so excited, all the preparation and everyone standing beside me and supporting me and all the opportunities that I've been giving and the journey that it's taking me on. It's just been such a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, we should remind our audience that you're still only a young 21 years of age, so really, you know, at a very pivotal point in your career as you come out of Young Riders, Cassie, and uh, I think the the record stands already that you, you've, you're the winningest young rider in U.S. dressage 
history. Uh, you're a bronze, silver, and, and gold medalist, a USDF bronze, silver, and gold medalist. And you, you've just won so much in your young life. How does that feel when you now you know, go over to Europe and with that kind of confidence? Do you find that the confidence will carry you to the next level of competition in front of an, a European audience? Um, you know, I just feel really fortunate and lucky to have done as well as I have with the amazing horses and support that I've had. And I just plan to go over there and do the best I can um, and try not to get too nervous. And when stepping into the international ring, um, I just hope not to get a little bit nervous about that. I really just hope to stay with my horse and keep him relaxed and comfortable. Luckily, my horse really leans on me. So if I can stay calm and relaxed and help him out, then will do better that way. Well, let's step back a little bit, Cassie, because, as you say, you're, you're only 21, but you've had a very full life now, till, till now in, in the sport. Tell us how it all began. Did you first get into, when you first got into horses, did you go straight into dressage, or did you do other things? Were you in the pony club? Um, I started riding between the age 13 and 14, and I pretty much got right into the dressage. My parents are both horse trainers, obviously, very successful. And I was going to school, coming home late, doing homework, and I just never really had time And to get to the barn. They were always working, so I never really had the opportunity. I always loved horses but didn't get the opportunity to ride. But once I started getting the opportunity to ride and got my first horse, it was mostly just eventing and playing around and doing some of those bareback riding games, and I did bareback jumping and halters and lead ropes and just trail riding and cross-country fences and galloping and trail riding, all that fun stuff. And then I started to get serious about it when I was about 14 and then just jumped into it. I started homeschooling and putting eight hours a day into riding. It's once I pretty much got there, did not want to leave. So what was it that you... What was the turning point then, Cassie, not only in terms of your availability to time, but to com- to convert you from the other disciplines? And, and, and what, what, what was it that said, OK, this is, this is it for me. Dressage is my sport and I'm going to commit you know, and dedicate myself to this now. What, what was the turning point? Well, actually, I got a little bit bored with the jumping because it was just <laughs> fence after fence after fence. And I really liked the challenge, and um, I always learning and how humble it made me to be riding dressage and how it takes a lifetime and a half to learn how to ride. So I just, I just really, I really admire the sport for that. It's, it's very difficult and challenging, and I like that. That it keeps you really fresh every day, and I. I don't know. It just sort of happened. It, it, I just started falling, falling more and more for the dressage. And just it, it was a casual jump from eventing to dressage. And then once I started showing, I loved it. And I loved competing. I really do. So it was, uh, it just, I don't know. It just sort of happened naturally. So who were your key, who were your heroes and your tr- key trainers at that time when you were making the transition Cassie, was it your parents, or did you have other idols that were in in the sport that that uh, motivated you and inspired you? Well, my parents they they are completely they've they've had the biggest influence on my riding. Obviously, they work with me every single day, and their drive and their hard work ethic and the whole family atmosphere it's just wonderful. So they have had the most influence on me and my riding and why I chose to do what I do. And then uh, Bo Yeno from Sweden, uh, he's the head trainer at Flinga. He would come over a lot, and when I was 14 or 15, and he was very patient with me and working with me. So he was probably the first outside international trainer that I got to work with in clinic situation. And um, about the last three years, and each year getting more and more influence from Kathy Morelli, and she's been wonderful. She's got such a wonderful attitude when she helps me and she really clicks with me our personalities match up very well it's easy to get her message and her lessons so with her she's very good with confidence boosting and she's very optimistic and um very very good for me but i've i've had the opportunity to work with albert Tinneman and he's had a big influence on me as well and i've had a few lessons with conrad schumacher and i'm currently riding in the cure kirkland clinic i I'm about to get my horse over to the clinic again. Um, I did two days with her, and she's been wonderful. But 
everyone. I mean, it's just so collective, and I'm so fortunate to have had so many opportunities. Tell us about your horses, Cassie, because I know you, you, you're very busy now. You're de- dedicating your life full-time. Full where, where, where does this fit in with school and, and other career plans? Do you have anything that you have to juggle with your life in dressage now? I um, No, I focus completely on working with my parents, and I'm sort of in a horse college situation. I don't have any online courses or college classes right now. I just work for my parents and now with Kathy Morelli during the winter, and I just get to put all of my energy and focus into riding, which I think is a huge plus. So tell us about the horses you have, and, and let, let's back up a little bit to the ones when you started when you started concentrating on dressage. What kind of horses were you riding? What levels were they then, Cassie? Oh, we had a big American warm blood stallion named Stoney, and he was just training for level 18 hands, and I was about five feet, very, very small, late late to uh, sprout up. And uh, just did, did him a lot in the local shows, and I had an Arab mare, and then I got my first Dutch warm blood mare, Harlow, when I was about 15 and a half, 16, and started working with her. And then I started getting to work with young horses and horses that my mom had in training, and I showed a pony, so it was very collective. And then Gabriella, the big mare, was my first, real dressage horse and step into the young rider world. So when you stepped into the young rider world, where where did you feel you were in, in terms of your learning curve? Because you obviously, you know, have natural talent to take you to the kind of successes that you've had as soon as you've had in your life. So how did you feel your young rider career evolved, especially since you came to dressage relatively late? Um, I was very happy with it. I think, again, with all the opportunities and the hours that I got to put into it and how much I wanted it and how forgiving the mare that I was riding and that was teaching me was, I think that really helped out with learning so fast. So you you were spending already 100% of your time then uh, 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 as you came through the Young Rider rankings. And, of course, now you're 21, so does that, that's, that you're coming to the end of your Young Rider career. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your, your horse, Ray, as you call him, GP Raymeister, who's, who's partnered you to such amazing success, Cassie. I mean, it's just been phenomenal that, that you've achieved the successes you've had as a young rider, winning so much. Tell us how you guys met up and, and how that partnership evolved. Well, he was a seven-year-old stallion when we got him, and uh, he was just training in first level. And um, my mom and I were working with him, and he, with her help, we've worked him all the way up to now pre-St. George and I won schooling the Grand Prix movement. So it's been very, I think, helpful that we've been able to grow together and have a partnership and move up the levels together. So that's made us closer, and I'm just continuing working on getting his trust and his respect and developing a partnership with him because I strongly believe that's very important. What kind of character and personality does he have, Cassie? What, what, you know, if he was a, if he was a human, what kind of guy would you describe him as? Um, he would probably be like Brad Pitt. He's gorgeous, <laughs> and uh, he can be a little full of himself. Um, but he is a really, really good worker. He's such a worker. He never gives up on me. He has tons and tons of energy. He's very sensitive, and I have to be. He really teaches me patience and he's taught me so much about being a much more sensitive rider and at 10 years old uh, uh, 10 years of age he's he's got so much in front of him cassie so much uh, career career left how do you see that map unfolding now over the next four to eight years if we think in terms of olympic cycles oh gosh well um we hope that you know he can be in the london 2012 that's that's our goal. Uh, he's working the pre-St. George and I won. I was going to show him open pre-St. George and I won this upcoming season in the open circuit. And he's just schooling all of the Grand Prix movements. And I just am taking my time with that to make sure that it's not uh, so that it's solid before I show him. Well, that's an, ambiti- an ambitious plan, of course. It's just, just just a few years away before we get to, to the London Olympics. Um, 
what will you do between now and then to take him up through the ranks and qualify him and, and, and get him get his Grand Prix test to, to the level that it would need to be for selection, Cassie? Well, just keeping him fit and happy and, of course, working the pre-St. George I won this year and then continue to school the Grand Prix movement and then the following year be showing either the Brentina or the Open uh, Grand Prix depending on what he's ready for. So it, it really just depends on how his training is going. Right. Do you have any plans at this point to go back to Europe after your visit this time? Do you plan to go and spend any time over there training, or, or are you, do you think you'll be able to focus your entire preparation here in the States? I would like to focus my entire preparation here in the States. And Ray is U.S. bred, so that's, that's always nice. We're very... We're very excited about the U.S. bred horse going over to Germany. So, um, And then also I've never been over there as well. So U.S. rider, U.S. horse. So that should be exciting. And um, I, I hope to get everything done here. I, I don't have any plans to go back there unless it's game for competing, of course. Right. And tell us about the other horses. Of course, he's, he's, your st- he's the star of, of your barn, I'm sure. But tell us about the other horses that you, you have in training now, Cassie. Uh, the seven-year-old diamond hit, his name is Delano, GP Delano, and he is such a little trier. He's so sweet. He gets a little bit nervous, which is kind of nice because he he leans on me a little bit for support and helping him cope with things. So he's very in tune to me, and he's, he's an up-and-comer, and he's schooling all of the Grand Prix movements, but I'm going to show him, I think, the developing horse. He's, uh, he's, he's really fun, really, really great walk, really supple and elastic. I have a lot of fun with him. He teaches me a lot. And then uh, coming six-year-old, hoping to do the FBI six-year-old test with and some third-level GP Super Crusader. And uh, he's a little black Hanoverian by Stedinger out of a Lori's Crusader mare. Those three are the so, ones I have down in Florida right now. Right, so you are in Florida now is for for the winter circuit. You're going to be spending all all the all the winter down there competing, are you? Yes. And training with Kathy. So tell us a little bit about your your final preparation now before you get, head over to Europe for for this big competition, which is probably the biggest competition of your career, isn't it? Yeah, yes, for sure. Um, right now, we're after the Care Clinic. We're going to head up to Arabian Nights Dinner Theater in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, and uh, right near Orlando. And we're going to work up there as long as it takes, hopefully three or four nights in the dinner show with the lights and the crowd to get him used to that type of atmosphere. And he's just going to ride his freestyle. He's going to be right in, the, right in the beginning of the show. They'll introduce me and Ray as me and Ray. And uh, until, it, until he gets comfortable with that, that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to go back down here and back down to Wellington and work with Cassie Morelli. And how long will you be in, in Europe altogether, Cassie? Probably about two weeks. Two weeks. Well, that'll be a real fun adventure, especially as you haven't been before. And you're really proving how, you know, how a young rider can come through the ranks with the, with the successes that you've had, the hard work, and you're now dedicating your whole time to the sport. Now is a sort of pivotal point, as I said earlier, where you're actually moving into the senior ranks. How does that feel? And what would you say to other young riders who are trying to make that transition and be recognized as a senior rider? Well, never give up. Always just keep trying. And um, hard work is, of course, the number number one key to success, I think. And work on the partnership with your horse and spending time at the barn, in the saddle, very important. So really just the same old dedication that takes any rider to the top is, is what it's all about, isn't it? Absolutely. And and with your future looking as bright as it is it, and, and so much time spent in the sport, you, you said to me earlier that you don't spend much time online, which is very unusual for a 21-year-old. So what does Cassie Bartuto do, do for fun? What do you do when you're not riding and around the barn, Cassie? Um, sleep. Sleep <laughs> or uh, eat. <laughs> so you don't have time for any, any, any other fun activities? No, not too much. 
So you're not tr- too much. you're truly dedicated to 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 being the best you can be in dressage, huh? Absolutely. Well, that's very inspirational, Cassie. Well, we wish you the very best of luck with your trip overseas to Germany. You're going to be right in the thick of it, and and I'm sure you'll pick up a lot of the good dressage vibes while you're over there that will carry you through, and we wish you the very best of success over there, Cassie. And I hope you'll come back on the Dressage Radio Show and tell us how it went in a few weeks' time. I would love to, and thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. The best of luck. Have a safe trip, and we look forward to talking to talking to you about it afterwards. Okay, thank you. Well, great to hear from Cassie. She she really is thoroughly dedicated, isn't she, Debbie? I mean, oh. you know, just totally single-minded about her sport now. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It's great to see somebody so dedicated at such a young age, and. Um, out of that can only come good things. So I, like I said, I wish her all the best over there, and and uh, we'll be we'll be thinking about her. We really will. And uh, you know, as you heard, I'm going to uh, get her come back on the show. In you know, when she gets back from Germany, maybe over the, over the holidays or, or right after the holidays, and uh, so she can tell us how that trip went. But because it wasn't only her first time competing in Europe, it was her first time for for her to be in in Germany. So, uh, you know, a big trip, a big trip for her and great experience. And we're going to look forward to welcoming her back on the show to uh, tell us how that went in a few weeks' time. Yeah, that should be really fun for the follow-up. It really will. It really will. Well, we're looking forward to that. And But um, we've got just a few more items of business uh, on the show here, Debbie. And But before we get to them, uh, we're going to hear from our commercial friends over there, uh, uh, one of our sponsors. Uh, So we're going to take a short break for a commercial insertion. Stay tuned. Don't forget your horse this holiday season, and what is more important than your horse's health? Kentucky Performance Products offers you the quality assurance that you are looking for for your horse. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities. Their ingredients are sourced from highly reputable suppliers, and their formulas are fixed to ensure consistency in each bucket. When you purchase a supplement from Kentucky Performance Products, you will see the results you expect and the quality you can count on. They guarantee it. Kentucky Performance Products has recently unveiled their newest product called Contribute. Unlike other omega-3 supplements, Contribute contains both plant and marine sources of omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acids support virtually every system in the horse's body, including the immune system, reproductive system, nervous system, bone development, and the cardiovascular system. Contribute offers horse owners, breeders, and trainers an affordable way to provide beneficial omega-3 fatty acids. It is recommended for young horses, horses in training, stallions, broodmares, and seniors. Learn more about Contribute and all the products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, Debbie, we, we, we've got a few things uh, to talk about this week. Um, first of all, I want to uh, um, mention a, a comment that we had on Facebook from uh, uh, Margarita. She, she says, firstly, I would like to tell you that I am really enjoying every podcast. It is surely being of great help, and then I would like to know how we can we, the international, have access to these clinics that we talk about without traveling with our horses. Uh, do you know if there's a place in the USA where they would rent us horses and give us a clinic? Thank you, and keep up the great job. Uh, well, I'm not sure where Margarita has written to us from, Debbie, but, you know, I guess that's a good point. You know, if you, you, know, if you want to have access to trainers that are in another country, how do you do that on a horse if you don't take your horse with you? <laughs> do you... Can you borrow a horse anywhere? I mean, is anybody willing to do that? Or do you just have to audit on your feet? Well, I think in in most of these situations, I know I would think for sure in the United States that we don't have access to something like that. Um, And, you know, as far as um, any clinics going on, I definitely, you know, that is a good way to come over and, and audit them. Um, I'm not quite sure which uh, clinics she was talking about, though. No, uh, no, I think, uh, you know, we've had people on recently like Stefan and Chris Hickey 
uh, who that when when I spoke to them, they were actually giving clinics uh, uh, when I caught up with them. And maybe she's thinking about those. You know, some of the riders that we've referred to recently, who yeah. spend a lot of time giving clinics. Um, and well, that, so many riders do. So I guess it's really a matter of choice, yeah. you know, which one you want to uh, to audit with. Right. I was, uh, you know, I was kind of referring more to like the developing and the elite clinics that we might have. Those are usually closed to auditors. So it would definitely have to be a private clinic that's been um, being given. And, and at those, most of those, definitely auditors are usually very well. Yes. Yes. Well, if you're listening to the show, Margarita, um, do write to us again. And if there's any help that we can give you in, in pointing you in the right direction there, uh, we'd be only too happy to help. And so send us a, another note and give us an idea of uh, what level of uh, training that you're looking for and if you have any clinicians in mind. Well, speaking about training, uh, Debbie, our topic of discussion this year, this week is really very topical because there's so much uh, debate right now about the use of hyperflexion, uh, which is, of course, only one method of training. Um, and whether you agree with it or not, it, it, it is a method. And uh, there are a lot of other methods out there, Debbie, but I think that what we really would like to do here on the Dressage Radio Show is Encourage people to seek out classical trainers for classical dressage to establish the foundation in the sport. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there really is no quick fix to this. Um, you know, I, I think there's when I go around, let me put it this way, when I go around the country and I, you know, witness a lot of different training methods and techniques and whatever, and um, uh, I, I often find people telling me, well, my, my horse is eight years old and it should be doing Grand Prix movements by now. And, and um, I, I can't tell you how many times that the age has come into making people resort to other methods and ways of doing something. And my comment to them is that horses are no different than people. Everybody learns at a different a different level in a different time frame, and you can't you can't make something happen. You need to develop it, and that is truly through classical training methods. And people will maybe from you know lack of experience, lack of knowledge, or having watched others take shortcuts, feel that that's appropriate to them. And and as you pointed out, there really are no shortcuts in horsemanship or equitation, or dressage, call it what you will, schooling, training. There's no such thing as a shortcut or a quick fix or instant gratification or, or finding a piece of tack that will you can put on and put the horse into a frame that it, 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 at the end of the day that's going to be temporary. And, and what, what I, not only is it going to be temporary in terms of the horse's development, it, it's also going to affect them, you know, their physical and muscle development, isn't it, Debbie? Oh, very much so. Uh, you know, like I said, it takes time to develop the proper muscles and and strength for a horse to be able to do the Grand Prix. And um, a lot of these artificial aids, basically, you know, they're, you're, they're used through strength and the horse is not being able to actually develop proper muscle. So in the end, like you said, it's always going to usually come back and bite you unless you really, really know what you're doing. But to try to copy somebody's method of training, unless you're engulfed in it, is not going to be successful. No, and I think it's so important that people have access to good quality trainers who who have you know have have long established records in doing things very correctly and establishing that foundation with a horse of any age and not expecting it to move up through the levels and just because as you said it's an has of a certain age as it should then be expected to compete at a certain level and that that really is is not the case and uh, I think you know people will perhaps put a horse on a lunge or or use artificial aids, thinking, "Well, I'm not able to achieve it without. I'm not able to achieve that frame without, or I'm not able to achieve that result in the way the horse is going." Well, 
I, I think our message would be not to look for the artificial aid, but look to yourself and your own education and, and try and find that help, the correct help with exactly. a classical trainer. And and also, Chris, one other little note is, um, you know, finding the right horse and uh, horse for a rider isn't always just as simple as having a certain amount of money to spend and buying a horse. I mean, sometimes it takes a while to find that great partnership. And I think a lot of times what happens is that the riders buy horses that really are not appropriate for their style of riding, and they end up using these artificial aids to to help kind of be able to control the situation. And um, those are little, you know, little red flags that should be coming up and saying maybe this is not the right match. And I think a lot of ego comes involved in, in those kind of decisions too. It, admitting that you can't ride a certain horse and it might be a fabulous horse and letting it go to maybe somebody who it might fit quite well. So this can go on and on. We can talk about a lot of different ways these these paths channel into methods of training, but there are those issues that also come into play. Well, there absolutely are, and I think, you know, it's taking time to find the right horse and not expecting a quick fix because, you you know, you think that horse should be, you know, you've spent X amount on it, so it's got to work for you. It's got to be a right fit. Well, it doesn't always happen that way, and you see people getting on horses, even young horses, and they have the say, stay, set of the, the sort of notion that they only have to ride the front of the horse and what that looks like in front of them and not have a feeling or an understanding of what ha- is happening behind the saddle. That is very, very true, Chris. Very true. It's, it, a lot of people forget about the engine, and unfortunately yeah. that's yeah. a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, and I think to 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 be exposed to that kind of training, to understand from from the very start when you're partnering with a horse that you really have to understand the, the physiology and where that horse is developing from. He's working from the back. He's working from his, from, from his you know, his hock, his stifle, his his joints behind, that's where the engine is and that's what creates the impulsion and therefore the, the, the collection. And, and I don't know how you, 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 you convey that, Debbie, when you're, when, when you're teaching and when you see people that do it all the time, they just see what they see in front of them and they feel that and they look in the mirror in the, in the arena and they look at the horse's uh, vertical and that the horse is going to be in the vertical. Right. If, if the horse is in that frame, well, everything else must be okay. Yeah, and it's true. And, and I think one of the hardest things to um, convey to people as I, as I do teach is if a horse especially is getting a little strong for a rider to actually, you know, ask with their leg to engage it a little bit. Um, there's always this, this moment of somebody's brain that says, I can hardly hold what I have. You're crazy. You want me to add more leg? <laughs> uh-huh, so, yes. You know, there's that, that, you know, a lot of it doesn't always make sense to get that engine engaged. And I think that's sometimes where people get a little bit confused when they're not working with somebody on a regular basis. Yes. Yes, that, that's true. And, and, and we, you know, we always come back to the importance of establishing the basics and, and how, how important that is. And, and you cannot spend too much time. And that really goes for any discipline you're riding in. And if you cross from one discipline to another, of establishing the basics <clears throat> with each horse. And I think that leads me into yeah. your training tip of the week, doesn't it, Debbie? It absolutely does. Um, I mean, you said it, it's back to the basics. And um, one of the things that that I find incredibly helpful in in everyday training is, you know, I get, you know, I'll get on, take them for a walk, you know, hardly any feel, just letting them be normal horses for about whatever, 10, 15 minutes. And then I'll do the warm-up exercises. But then when it, when before I really, really try to start getting down to work, I pretty much will run through most, most of the, the lateral work, the shoulder in, little haunches in, Ron Vare, half passes, walk pirouettes, and do it all at the walk. Um, 
you're never going to be able to do it better in the trotter if you cannot achieve it in the walk. And that means you've got to have a good connection from the horse's in, you know, hind end to the hand and through a connection through your seat and leg aids. Um, it's just a whole thing. It's, you'd be amazed if people just take the time to do a lot of their work and walk, how much you really can achieve and how much easier when you start to work things really become. Yes, I totally agree with you, Debbie, and, I, and it is such an important tip, that is, because, you know, the bottom line is you don't run before you can walk, and a, and a lot of That's people right. think that they have to. They think they have to achieve it, it and very often, as I'm sure you find, Debbie, they think they have to achieve some of these movements at the trot. That's the, that's the pace of, 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 of where they, they, they have to achieve a lot of, the, of those movements. They don't think of them so much as is doing them at the walk and getting them, you know, getting the responses that you need, getting your leg aids correct and getting the horse coming through to your hand correctly. Um, So much can be done walk. And I think possibly, Debbie, it could be that, you know, a lot of people find it boring to to work at the walk. Well, you have a very good point there. I think that is a very good point. I think people want to get, you know, get to it, have fun and, you know, do the more, you know, exciting things. But, um, to be honest, I mean, it helps the horse understand what it's to do. Um, I think a lot of people maybe might be afraid of the walk because they've been told they ruin the walk if they do it. Well, you can ruin the walk, absolutely. But when you're riding things like shoulder in and and Ron Bear and, and half passes and leg yields, you're, you're not going to ruin the walk if you've got the correct approach to it if you're you know running them off their feet in anything you're going to not it's not going to work so i don't i think riders need to not be afraid of the walk and like you said it might seem boring but i'll tell you what it's uh it's a huge huge education for the horses to understand what's to come and also not only just to understand the aids and 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 the training the the training aids to achieve what you're trying to achieve, but also to instill the discipline with the horse of being responsive in the way that he needs to be before you can move up through the paces. Well, that absolutely. I mean, you you'll find your hold. Let me tell you. I mean, if you even when you're schooling a, a walk pirouette and you find that that horse is not responsive off your aids. Um, and you're you're having a heck of a time doing it at the walk. Let me tell you, it is not going to get any easier if you're riding a horse, you know, in the fourth level and above, and trying to start schooling on those canter pirouettes because there's no difference. If that horse doesn't respond in the walk, you are not going to get it in the canter either. So yeah. there's it's just there's I, I just really can't emphasize enough people taking the time or going back if they have trouble and doing it again yeah. in the walk. It, well, that's a, that's another important part of this, isn't it, Debbie? That you must always remember you can go back. You know, I yes. think of it, it, it's rather like you know when you're jumping a horse, Deb, and you you know you'll jump him at two foot two foot six, and that's going very well, and then you put it up a few inches, and, and then he starts hitting it in front or behind or something, and the gymnastic exercises you're doing are not quite as effective. Well, lower the fence, go back, lower the fence, well, and, you, and establish it. And you have a very good point there. You have a very good point there because if you're jumping a horse, this is a very good, a very good analogy. Actually, I love that you brought it up because you take a horse that you're jumping three foot and you bump it up to three six and it gets a hit and now it's afraid. Yeah. So the only way you're going to build that horse's confidence back up is by taking it back down. And it's no different dressage. There might not be that element of fear as far as a jump in front of it, but it's got the fear of you as the rider, your hands, your leg, and everything else that revolves around your your aids becoming, you know, exactly what you want them to be. So that's a perfect analogy. Yes. And don't, you know, leave your ego back in the barn or back in the house, because when you get on a horse... (laughs) You, you you really don't need. You've got to be as humble as you can be, and don't don't be afraid to step back down if you you know if you're going too fast or asking asking questions the horse can't answer. I mean, the golden rule is only ask a question the horse can answer, and he's ready for it in every way. 
Well, I think uh, I think we've co- hopefully conveyed that as a, 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 u- a useful point of discussion and a, and a training tip for the week, Deb. Yes. Well, thank you. I like I said, I believe in it very strongly. So hopefully, it'll help some other people out there. Well, I hope so too. And uh, as always, we, we we always want to hear from you. And Debbie's going to tell you now how you can contact us. Yes, you can follow our show notes at www.dressageradio.com. Send us your feedback. Leave us a voicemail at 270-803-0025 or email us at chris at horseradionetwork.com. The Dressage Radio Show has a fan page on Facebook, and there's a link to the page on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio, at Chris, or Chris, at Chris E. Stafford. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Collection and EquestrianCollections.com, and Kentucky Performance Products at KPPUSA.com. Well, thank you, Debbie. And again, we always want to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about the topics that we discuss or if there are, uh, there are topics that you would like us to discuss or any questions that you may have for Debbie, you can always include them in an email to me, and I will make sure Debbie gets those. Don't forget um, to visit our presenting sponsors as well and let them know that you follow the Dressage Radio Show. Well, Debbie, I, it, it's starting to feel a little bit like a turkey day here, and we're, we're getting ready for a big old turkey dinner, and, uh, and I know it's a little bit earlier in the day for you, but I'm sure you'll be getting to it fairly soon too. Oh, yeah, my stomach's starting to crumble. I can taste it already. <laughs> well, wonderful, Debbie. Well, I appreciate you joining us um, on this uh, holiday season, and uh, thanks again. Have a great Thanksgiving, and to everybody out there, have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll be joining joining you again next week. So, Debbie, until we meet again next time. Well, thank you very much for having me. Good luck, everyone, and enjoy your riding. 